One of the things I really liked about about For Hire Operator is the fact that there is this non-monogamous relationship and there's it's not perfect all the time. Like there is drama, there is conflict in it at times, but none of that drama or conflict comes from the fact that it's non-monogamous. It comes from other aspects of their lives, things that are going on in their careers or in their yeah. personal lives. Mm-hmm. If you're happy with the same old ways of dating, if you enjoy sucking at communication, and you have no desire to improve your romantic life, then our podcast might not be for you. But if you want some out-of-the-box ideas to deepen your current relationships, broaden your sexual horizons, develop a better understanding of yourself, or learn more about non-monogamy, then you've come to the right place. I'm Jace. I'm Emily. And I'm Dedeker. And this is the multi Podcast. Hey y'all, welcome to a very special episode of the Multi-Amory Podcast. <laughs> yeah, a special live episode. Yeah, so it's the end of the year. We recorded this live at the Naked Heart Literary Festival in Toronto, and we were joined by friend of the podcast, one of our favorites, Kevin Patterson, to discuss science fiction and portrayals of non-monogamy in science fiction, everything from books to movies to TV shows and video games as well. Yeah. And so I did want to just say that uh, we play video clips throughout this. We don't have a video version of this. So you will have to use your brain's imagination to, uh, you know, imagine seeing the movies and the TV shows (laughs) as we talk about it. Uh, But honestly, I don't think you really need to see the visuals to be able to get it. But hopefully you've seen some of these things and then you'll have a good little reminiscence about having watched them. Yeah. So sit back, relax, and we hope you enjoy. On this episode of the Multi-Amory Podcast, we're talking about representations of non-monogamy in science fiction books, comic books, films, TV shows, and video games. So a few years ago, I guess two years ago, we've covered representations of non-monogamy in media before, more generally. But this time we're focusing specifically on science fiction, and we're very excited to be joined by author Kevin Patterson to help us have that discussion. So, to open things up just very broadly at the beginning here, I guess I want us to discuss a little bit of, like, do we think that there's a connection between people who are drawn to sci-fi and people who are drawn to non-traditional relationships? Basically, what I'm trying to ask is, why are there so many polyamorous nerds? Because there's a ton (laughs) of you out there. You're all here tonight. (laughs) I mean, yeah, uh, definitely. uh, if, If for no other reason that, like, when you're into sci-fi, when you're into fantasy, when you're into just like uh, that sort of media, you see a world that's that's often idealized, and that gives you sort of the the license to want to customize your own world, the, your own world around you. Like I, I'm not rich enough to be Batman, but like I can be, you know. But I can also, but I can date Talia and Catwoman at the same time if that's what I want to do. You know? Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think there's also, I guess, two things. One is I think with science fiction specifically, or if you want to call it speculative fiction, it's all kind of starts with that question of, well, what if X, right? Well, what if the world was just a little bit different in this one way? How much would everything else be different because of that? And I think that, at least for me, that was kind of what my journey to non-monogamy was, was kind of this asking that question of like, well, what if there was a different way to do this? Mm -hmm. And then that kind of 
just one thing built on another, whether you think of it as like unraveling all the stuff I thought before or building new things. But either way, I think that question is so related to like the central question of, of sci-fi. Right. Yeah. I think when I think back to my childhood, when I was first getting into sci-fi into fantasy into speculative things, into things that portray these very different worlds, um, I realize now looking back that these were the worlds where there was exploration of alternative family structures or different ways of loving someone or different ways of having sex, essentially. And this was also at a time I was raised evangelical Christian, really fundamental evangelical Christian, where the media that I was supposed to be consuming uh, very much was not that. You know, very much portrayed this one particular model of how it was that it's supposed to be. Um, and I recently realized, looking back, that like when I started reading like vampire novels, like Anne Rice, when I was in middle school and high school, that that was a really early exposure to first of all like homoerotic love that was maybe not necessarily sexual. Also, the idea of genuinely romantically loving multiple people over the course of your life and at the same time. And it's funny that when I read about that at the time, it didn't strike me as this like really oh so shocking, so scandalous because it's like well they're vampires. You know, you know, if I'd been handed a book where it was like, oh, real life people doing this, then my tiny little Christian self probably would have been much more shocked and traumatized. But there was something about this heightened sense that made it easier to an easier pill to swallow, essentially. Yeah. Similar to that, like um, I was shy and like, you know, sort of when I had like sort of my sexual awakening, I was too shy to do anything about it. But like I could fantasize all the time and I was like a big reader of comic books. So and especially like X-Men books and like something that I love about the X-Men is that like everyone's really tight knit. And there's so many like conflicting romances that have happened over the course of uh, the X-Men's what, 67 years, 57 years that there's a lot of combinations that 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 read as natural or normal in my head that I could just sort of keep in my head without having to have like awkward conversations with actual people about what my <laughs> desires were. So are you saying that your fantasy life is all X-Men up there? Yeah, 100%. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Uh, so let's, let's start talking about some, some content here. So as we get into that, I do have two disclaimers. First of all is that this is not an exhaustive list. I'm sorry that probably your favorite sci-fi thing with non-monogamy and it won't get covered tonight. And I'm really sorry. And I wish we could cover everything. You can angry tweet at us later. <laughs> yes, please do. Uh, and then the other one is spoilers. So we are going to be showing some clips and we are going to be talking about some books and comic books and things. We, we will give you warning about what the thing is we're going to talk about. So if you need to take that moment to go to the restroom or you just want to sit in your chair and plug your ears and hum to yourself, like that's fine. People, honestly, people have done it before at shows when we've covered TV shows that they hadn't finished yet. People left and then came back. So don't feel bad if that's you. Yeah, so we're going to start out talking about books, and I suppose the way we've been referring to it is the elephant in the room that we kind of have to talk about first and foremost is A Stranger in a Strange Land by Robert Heinlein. Has anyone read that out there? A couple people? Oh, wow. Yeah. Has anyone heard of it? Yeah. Like, okay. okay, so we've, a lot of us have heard of it. Yeah, definitely. Okay. Do we have a book cover for that one? Oh, yeah, sure do. I mean, it's been republished so many times over the years that there's a, like a kajillion bit different book covers, Maybe. but... Um, yeah, so Stranger in a Strangeland was published in 1961. It's pretty old. And because of the time that it came out, it's sometimes credited with being 
a foundation of the counterculture movement of the 60s. Like some people think it was that influential for sure. Um, now you came across a really interesting kind of post-mortem interview, or maybe actually... Well, let's talk a bit about the book first, yeah, and then we'll get to that. You want to kind of that. give a rough version of what the plot is of Stranger in a Strange Land? Yeah, so, so the reason why this book is brought up a lot is the fact that it was, you know, won the Hugo Award that year for Best Novel. It was a New York Times bestseller. Um, even though, you know, Heinlein had to fight his publishers to get it published and to get certain things left in the book, uh, which we'll talk about in a second. And that also it was a mainstream, you know, successful, commercially successful science fiction book that had non-monogamy in it. And this is in 1961, right? So this is particularly shocking that that happened. And so that and also some terms from it and some ideas from it really resonated with people at the time when there was sort of this sexual revolution going on at the same time. That yeah, it kind of it, have, meshed has, with that. Has anyone heard the term grok? G-R-O-K, to grok something. Yeah, that comes from Stranger in a Strange Land. Yeah. Um, I mean, the, the rough plot of it is that there's like this human baby who is raised on Mars. You're going to have to help me out. No, I love it. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> there's this human baby who's raised on Mars. He's raised by Martians. He comes back to Earth. The Martians have taught him all these mystical, powerful abilities essentially and like the, all the governments are fighting over wanting to study him but he ends up going on to create what I think in 1961 sounded like a really cool commune nowadays sounds like a cult <laughs> um, he goes on to kind of collect these people to himself and they all become like this huge polycule essentially um, they refer to each other as water brothers because that's how you become intimate essentially is by sharing water together but it becomes this like this like massive kind of commune where it's this huge polycule everyone's free to sleep with each other it was really progressive for the time in kind of really embracing women's sexuality and really de-shaming and counter-shaming women's sexuality um and uh, then it ends with some kind of some weird uh Christ-like metaphors and stuff like that. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I think one of, the, one of the sort of key things that, like this book was very significant for me in discovering non-monogamy in that I read it when I was in college, as a senior in college, and I read this book, and for me, also coming from a fairly conservative Christian upbringing, I think the fact that he was writing something that was progressive in 1961 meant that for my brain at that time, it was like just enough progressive for me to keep up with it. Uh, and I really appreciate that about it. However, I do want to have a disclaimer that if you go out and go, oh, that sounds really cool, and you read it now, there's some problematic stuff in it, because it was written in 1961. And that doesn't forgive those things, but understand there's a context for it. Mm -hmm. um, but in it, one of the main characters, so Michael is the Martian guy, that he is talking to a friend of his who's a human who's not part of the religion slash cult slash commune with them. And, uh, you know, he says to him, oh, you know, you like this woman too. You should go be with her because I know she likes you as well. And the response is, what? I thought you loved her. Why would you want her to be with me if you loved her? And then in response, he says, what, what are you talking about? Like, if I love her, that means that her happiness is related to my happiness and why would I want to stop her from doing something that made her happy? And for me, that was that like mind-blown moment. And I think it was for a lot of other people, which is why it sort of became this hallmark of the free love movement of the 60s. Mm -hmm. And you found that Highland had kind of a touch point to this in his... 
Yeah, so Heinlein was in an open marriage. Uh, his second and possibly third marriage were both open marriages. Uh, I don't believe that the first one was. Um, but his second wife was actually involved in the writing of this book, and it took him like 10 years to write it. Um, and a couple interesting things I found about it was this quote from him, uh, where his publishers wanted him to remove the whole non-monogamy aspect of it. They're like, just get rid of this part where everyone has sex with each other. That's not important to the story. <laughs> and his response was, in a letter to them, was monogamy is merely a social pattern used uh, to certain structures of society, but it is strictly a pragmatic matter unconnected with sin. A myriad other patterns are possible, and some of them can be, under appropriate circumstances, both more efficient and more happy-making. <laughs> and I like that an award-winning author said happy-making, which is nice. Yeah, um, and I just pulled one other quote. We can move on to other books after this, but this is a quote directly from Stranger in a Strange Land, and um, this is actually a different character, Jubal, who's, I guess, kind of... Uh, he's human. He's not Martian, but he's... He's supposed he, to be kind of like our voice as the reader. Right, right. Um, but I really appreciate in this quote, Highland kind of making this point of, I mean, really, really uh, kind of cutting to the heart of the counterculture movement, I think, at the time. But this character, Jubal, says, most philosophers haven't the courage for questioning this. They swallow the basics of the present code. Monogamy, family pattern, continents, body taboos, conventional restrictions on intercourse, and so forth. But mostly they debate how we can be made to obey this code, ignoring the evidence that most tragedies they see around them are rooted in the code itself, rather than the failure to abide by it. Which, I love that quote, it feels very relevant today. And again... If you want to read the book, go ahead and read the book. Just know that it's not always these gems, necessarily. Um, and there are a few problematic things that Kevin brought up with sort of the community of people who are fanatics about this book. Yeah, there, there's a lot of people who, who, uh, who really hold tightly to, like, uh, to Stranger in a Strange Land. And, like, A, a lot of them sort of feel like they have ownership over polyamory in, uh, in terms of, like, uh, sort of naming themselves like founders and originators and so on, and it feels it feels like some real colonialism. Uh, colonialism, um, and also like some of them don't separate the harem, the sort of harem-based uh, misogynistic aspects of polyamory. Like it doesn't feel like it feels like they found their Bible and they won't hear anything other than that. And like, they, they won't learn and grow, which I feel is like an aspect of non-monogamy that we all should have. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. no, that's yeah. Very well put. It's like, it's like reading the writings of someone who is very progressive for their time and then being like, yep, they're right. I'm just going to stick to that. And, and ironically end up being very conservative yourself when trying mm-hmm. to be progressive. Right. Yeah. Or when yeah. thinking you're progressive. Right. So and let's we move just on. describe the Bible. So. Yeah, well, I wasn't going to say it, but yeah. <laughs> we have another podcast about the Bible, and that subject comes up a lot. Yeah, and so Kevin, you're the one who brought up also the Broken Earth trilogy as well as another example of non-monogamy yeah. in science fiction. Yeah, if you're unfamiliar, the, uh, the, the Broken Earth trilogy is uh, by N.K. Jemisin, and, and like Heinlein's book, uh, it won... It won the Hugo Award. It won it three years running uh, because it's a trilogy. It's the only, it's the only, um, N.K. Jemisin is the only author to have won it three years in a row. Wow. Um, the, the, the basics of it is that there is a fifth season. Um, and like every, every indeterminate amount of years, like a season, a fifth season happens and it's basically a series of cataclysms. And 
So there are um, superhumans called Origins who can either quell or start this fifth season, and they're they've got powers that can control like uh, nature, mostly around uh, around Earth, almost like Earth bending in the the Avatar series, and and like they're strictly controlled by the government. They're uh, they're they're um, sort of bred and controlled and managed. And the story of uh, the Broken Earth trilogy is um, essentially about three women. A, a young woman who, who has these powers, who is um, a young woman who has these powers, who is like sort of being adopted into the government and like the, the training academy. Uh, a woman who is sort of found her peak in the academy and is now finally going out into the world to, uh, to, to be what the, the government wants her to be. And then an older woman who is like sort of done with, um, done with academy schooling, done with government control and just trying to live her own life, uh, hidden away from, um, from the rest of humanity. And it's this, this second woman, uh, uh, cyanite. She's a, She's assigned to a mission with uh, a top-level student named Alabaster, and they don't like each other. But they're also they're also designated as partners to procreate, so they can create more of these origins that the government would then control. And I hate again, when that happens. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and like yeah, they they don't like each other, but they're doing their job. And then like all hell breaks loose, a bunch of things happen, and they're broken away from their mission for the first time ever, and they find themselves uh, amongst a group of pirates. And they both fall in love with the captain of these pirates. And at first it's like, well, what do we do with these feelings? How do we, how do we reconcile this? And then they just sort of do. And they don't really discuss, like, what are we going to do if we both love the same person? This, this pirate captain's like, well, I love both of y'all, and it's cool. And they just go with that. They go with that flow for as long as they can. Um, but something something that I really love about this is that it's not an identity book. Like the shit that I write is like really identity focused. This isn't that. Like they're non-monogamous in the first book, and then circumstances pull that pull that union apart by the time they reach the second and third books, and they don't find a way to make that. They don't find a way to make it stick. It's like it's functional while it's functional. It works while it works, and when it doesn't, they don't. Tr- they don't try to keep it together. There are other identity things that do get brought up in, other, you know, uh, amongst other characters over the course of the trilogy, but that's not what the focus is. The focus is the story, and it, these identities inform rather than define. Yeah, that's really interesting. The idea of this relationship forms, but then over the course of the greater arc of the whole series, that that's not like the key relationship that needs to stay together. Yeah. And yeah, it needs to be that identity glue that keeps everything together. Exactly. Yeah. Nice. Excellent. Yeah. We, um, so we also wanted to acknowledge briefly uh, The Expanse. Has anyone, anyone, yeah, familiar has anyone with the read Expanse? that or watched the show? No. Okay. Maybe, maybe a hand. Uh, so The Expanse was a book series and ended up getting turned into a TV series that I believe is still on now. And this one, I only it kind of gets like an honorable mention, I guess, because none of the main characters are non-monogamous, but one of the main characters, his parentage is that he's the product of eight people who sort of pooled their resources, both financially and genetically, to create this child. Which is basically how any of us millennials are going to start a family in the future, (laughs) (laughs) whether we want to be non-monogamous or not. Right. So that's one that, that, you know, when I've asked people, like, oh, what 
what shows or books or things have had some non-monogamy in them. It usually comes up as a mention uh, just because it's very popular, but I won't spend too much time on it because that's kind of all we get. It's just that acknowledgement of, yeah, okay, I guess that could happen. (laughs) Well, but that is interesting, though, that I feel like I get news articles sent to me all the time about, like, there's this family in Sweden of like five adults, you know, of like two gay couples and, and this fifth person and they're all pooling their resources in order to raise a family together and they're not all sexual or romantic with each other, but that's what they're doing. And I'm seeing more and more of that. Like, I guess these kind of like queer family relationship anarchist sort of chosen family makeups. And so I think it makes sense that this shows up in fiction as well. Yeah. And I, and I will say that it's, you know, really anything that offers some normalization by just kind of throwing that in there and not having that be a point of contention or something that's treated as a bad thing. It's just a fact uh, that, that that is good. Like anything we can get is good, I right. guess is what I'm saying. So, Kevin, you briefly alluded to the shit that you write. Yes. <laughs> um, we are going to do a little bit of a reading from Kevin's book uh, towards the end of the episode later on. Yeah. Um, but can you talk a little bit about, because you count also as sci-fi and yes. a portrayal of non-monogamy in sci-fi as well. Yeah. Um, so um, my book series uh, for hire, um, my book series for hire, which I write with uh, Alana Phelan, who goes online by the uh, the polyamorous librarian, um, we created a, a universe that's not too distant from our own, but the way it works is um, I'm always talking about how for oppression uh, to be addressed, like to be seriously addressed, people with power, people with privilege, people who who uh, who can push the needle have to give a fuck, and they have to be the people who actually push the needle, who actually turn the ship, and. In this universe, those people are actually superheroes. And so, like, um, like 1960s, during the civil rights movement, uh, a, a black superhero breaks up a race riot and basically issues a, a demand to the, local, to the local city, like, hey, look, I can use my powers and I can change things here. I can, you know, I can keep people safe, but also you've got to get all these racist white cops off of our streets. So superheroism gets closely tied to social justice. And and that sort of pushes the needle of the universe. So we wanted to make we wanted to make things like polyamory and queerness, trans identities, uh, people of color, to, like normalized in a very specific way. Because a lot of science fiction, a lot of speculative fiction, what they do is like they just sort of say, well, there's no racism here, but they don't explain a how we got here or b why the story still follows a cishet white dude. <laughs> <Gosh>. <laughs> So we wanted to make sure that we did that in a way that that like it doesn't create like a utopia of 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 uh, a lack of oppression. It's still there, but it's lessened, and there's a legit reason why it's lessened. Yeah, excellent. So uh, let's keep moving along. We're going to move on to comic books now. So, uh, comic book fans, Marvel, DC, anybody? Do we hate comics? Oh, okay, no, okay. people love comics. Okay, okay. We got okay. Some comic fans. Oh, thank goodness. <laughs> okay. Uh, so, Kevin, I think you brought to our attention about the recent thing that showed up in DC Comics with Harley Quinn and Poison Ivy. Yeah, yeah. The, um, the uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna pivot and go to the recent things that happened in X Men. Actually, oh yeah, yeah. Okay, um, yeah. So X Men, like I'm I'm an X Men kid. X Men's been around since 1962. I've been reading it since 1991, and. I'm more excited now about the X-Men's current storyline than I've ever been about my favorite, like my favorite universe. And something that they really did was that um, they've basically created a mutant nation. Everybody's welcome. It's a nation away from humanity and every, you know, and uh, 
they're made friends of enemies and, and, and so on. And because of the way it's set up, they can create their own living situations. Jonathan Hickman, the person who wrote these, um, likes using infogra- infographics all over the place. And one of them shows the living situation of uh, Cyclops and Jean Grey and Wolverine, and they're connected. So you can see the rooms over on the right side of the diagram there have these little hallways interconnecting them. Yeah. And none of the other rooms do that. Yeah. <laughs> Jean is the 12, Cyclops is the 11, and Wolverine is the 10. And She's just nestled right in the middle there. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and like they don't actually call it what it is, but they, they allude to it a couple of times, and it's, it's really well done. Like There's a celebration that happens early in this, in this series called uh, Dawn of X, and they show like Wolverine going over, grabbing a couple of beers, throwing his arms around both of them, handing off some beers. They show uh, Jean Grey go over to Emma Frost, who she normally has a contentious relationship with, through her through their shared relationship with Cyclops, and like sort of tensely handing over a beer as well. You know, I don't have a picture of that one. Sorry, <laughs> it, it's fine. I, I, I imagine I, it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, and it's it's cool too that in a lot of the articles about this, you know, they brought up the fact that if you think about how long the history of X-Men is, and I remember growing up and it was more of this contentious relationship between Cyclops and Wolverine. Yes. And that it's, a lot of the articles I was reading are kind of like, yeah, but if you think about it, this is a world where these people have kind of been forced to bond together to create this safe place for other mutants. And it's kind of this like, well, we can either be miserable forever or we can find a way to, to work or with this. Or we can this. finally make rooms with connecting hallways <laughs> right. and just deal with it. And she gets such different things out of each people. Like Jean, mm-hmm. Jean gets to be like a, a, a lover and a nurturer and like a family person with Scott. And, mm-hmm. that, and she deserves to be that. But she also gets to be a warrior. She gets to be like sexualized in a really consensual way with Wolverine, you know? And that's, that's something she can't get from... That's she can't get from Cyclops and it's it's not something that we really talk enough about where like just polyamory in general we each get something different out of our individual partners like one partner is going to bring out the you know the academic in me or one's going to bring out the 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 activist in me like I'm at this moment kinkier than I've ever been (laughs) and like it's because I have a partner who is who is drawing this out of me in a way my other partners you know through no fault of their own has really been able to do and like it's it's awesome seeing that sort of addressed even if it's in a a marketable and palatable to mass you know, to mass audiences sort of way. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. Yeah, so do you think that as far as with this X-Men storyline, like, do you think it's only a matter of time before there is someone who is just like, yeah, this is what it is and this is what they're doing? And I mean, Marvel, Marvel has been really good about like sort of pushing the issue from time to time. I mean, not, not as well as any of us would like, but as far as the medium would allow, mm-hmm. they've, pushed that, they've pushed the issue. Um, 
I remember when DC had uh, had a had a had um, a queer character, Alan Scott, who was the um, the, the one of the Green Lanterns. Mm. Like everyone made a big stink about it. Or I mean, like no, it wasn't a stink. They were like, hey, yeah, look, you know, Alan Scott, he's green, he's Green Lantern, and he's gay. And I'm like, yeah, but North Star's been gay for for decades <laughs> over in Alpha Flight. You know, Marvel's Marvel's done that. And I think with the reception that people are giving this whole Scott Gene uh, Cyclops thing, I think Marvel's. They they're not gonna they're not gonna hesitate to jump in there mm-hmm. if they if they feel like it's something reasonable if it feels like it's something they can actually sell mm-hmm. I don't think they're gonna be like well the comic code prevents this from happening <laughs> the comic board of directors <laughs> right uh-huh. yeah I also heard someone recently when talking about this episode bring up that in the comic books it's almost like the companies are kind of testing what might come to the films and TV shows maybe mm-hmm. 10 years down the line yeah that makes sense yeah. that, that it's like the, the comic books ground. are where they can kind of test this yeah they can right. push the envelope a little bit right um, probably because the cost of making comic books is so much less than making Hollywood movies that they can afford to they can you afford can to have people not buy stuff right yeah, yeah that's true they can afford to take some time to find their audience um, mm-hmm. and I think that's something though that is really cool that I feel like I've noticed much more of a move toward um, just queer comics in general and more like queer comic fans being a part of that scene and like queer Dungeons and Dragons players and like, you know, like all these things that at least when I was a kid, I would never have associated with that was much more, you know, the, the Gamergate sort of guys Mm -hmm. that now it's like, Hey, no, this is our place now. Well, that is the weird thing that I notice in the nerd community. And I feel like I don't want to get us on a tangent here, (laughs) but, but it's true that especially with the gaming community, and we'll get into that a little bit later, that it does seem to be home to these very two extremes of communities of, I've seen the gaming community, at times be the most accepting and the most embracing of a wide variety of identities and sexualities and things like that, while at the same time also harboring just some of the most awful vitriol and like acrimonious sentiment and conservative sentiment. It's really surprising to see kind of both of these things contained in the same interest. I really, that that makes me really, really sad. Like, Mm -hmm. um, like both on like, uh, like like on a personal level, like one of Gamergate's biggest targets is a friend of mine, Brianna Wu. Mm -hmm. And like, I, I literally cried tears when I saw like the composite character they made of her in the Gamergate SVU law and order SVU episode. Um, but like on like on sort of a a larger scale like I grew up like I grew up into like a lot of geek shit you know like I played lots of video games I read lots of comic books and for me it was like okay well I would have I would have killed for like young women to be into comic books with me Mm -hmm. you know maybe they were and maybe they were hidden and I just didn't see them but like I felt like I was like you know shunned by shunned by women and not bullied by guys because I could fight and they, 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 they didn't want it with me. But like, I would have killed for that to be a thing. So, so to see that kind of gatekeeping, it, it irks the hell out of me. Like we're, we're not, we're not, what's it called? We're not, um, we're not oppressed as geeks anymore. You know? Yeah, like, 100%. Like Big Bang Theory, as crappy as it is, is like a super popular television mm. show. Like uh, an Avengers movie is the top movie of all time right, right. now. Mm-hmm. We're, we're the culture. Yeah. You know, we're not counterculture. We're, we're, we're it. Yeah. yeah. I have a lot of latent resentment that comes up every time I see a trailer for the new Star Wars is because I just remember my days of being a young child and being bullied for being into Star Wars and yeah. like being made fun of. And now everyone freaking loves it. And of course, I appreciate that. But I, I'll, <laughs> I have a lot of baggage that's still attached to that. Anyway, yeah, let's talk I. about Harley Quinn. <laughs> right. So, so now on, on the other side of the, 
metaphorical pond, uh, the DC universe. So DC, um, like, like Kevin was bringing up with Green Lantern, they're maybe not quite as um, up to speed as Marvel is on, on being progressive on these things. Um, but something that for a long time now has kind of been fan canon is this relationship between Harley Quinn and Poison Ivy. And that the two of them have been, one, in some kind of same-sex relationship. And then two, that maybe it's non-monogamous. Right? That those have been things that have been tossed around in the fan community for a long time. And there are like little things here and there to sort of hint at that or kind of acknowledge that. One of my, uh, one of my favorite um, uh, pictures is like, um, it's Batgirl talking to Harley. And she's like, so how close are you in Poison Ivy? And Harley's like, what, you mean like the rumors about you and Supergirl? <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> right, well, they kind of like acknowledge, you know, sort of this like, um, what's the term I'm looking for? Like the fourth wall kind of thing. Like they bring yeah. down that fourth wall of like, yeah, yeah, we're talking about you fans out right. there. We know what you say about these characters. Mm-hmm. Um, but so more recently, though, this did get a little more interesting in that there was a Twitter conversation, sort of a, an ask me anything type thing with a couple of the writers uh, for for DC, and basically the fans kind of asked them about the relationship between Harley Quinn and Poison Ivy, and their answer was, um, "Yeah, they have you have uh, they have a very you know special relationship." And then the fans were just like, "No, that's not enough." <laughs> They're like, "But but really though, Stop what's their relationship like?" And they had to press them a few times, but finally they did actually say very clearly, like, "They're in." Oh, do I have the quote here? Oh, I didn't write the quote. Shoot. Basically, what they said was that they're in a relationship that's free from the confines of monogamy or something like that. And I was like, okay, cool. They actually came out <laughs> Throwing and Throwing a bone, it. I suppose. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. And I did pull one panel from this that I liked, which was... There we go. So you don't have to read all of that. I know the writing's pretty small up there. But what's important is that this is... Uh, Harley Quinn is hugging this guy. What did you say his name was? Harvey or something? Uh, Mason. Mason. <laughs> Close enough. <laughs> uh, this guy, Mason. She's, uh, you know, she's hugging him, and then they're kissing, and Poison Ivy is standing there watching, and uh, Madam... Madam Macabre. Madam Macabre. Yes. Sorry, these are new characters to me. Uh, asks Poison Ivy if she's jealous, and she says, never. I'm happy when she's happy. And the answer is, beautiful and wise. Who wouldn't be attracted to that? But... There's not shock, there's not ridicule, there's not something awful about this. It's just, it's just stated, and there it is. Now, you'll notice that Batman is having none of it, according to his face. <laughs> so I just thought that was his normal resting Batman face, you know? No, I didn't notice that the first time I saw it. <laughs> now, an interesting, interesting thing about this, though, with Harley Quinn and Poison Ivy is the fact that they are villains, right? And... When we, uh, we did a show a couple of years ago that was talking more broadly about non-monogamy representation in media, and we covered House of Cards, right, um, where the main characters in that show are non-monogamous, um, but also they're villains, and so it adds this, on the one hand, it adds this layer of like, well, yeah, they're the weird bad guys, yeah. they can get up to weird kinky stuff, maybe it even adds to their evilness, perhaps, the fact that they don't respect monogamy or traditional relationships. Um, There's the other theory, though, that in some of these universes or some of these fictions, 
only the villains can find satisfaction in something like non-monogamy because the fact that we, we can't have our heroes actually be happy. Which is the case in a lot of fiction in a lot of comic books. It's like the hero has to be conflicted or the hero has to be struggling against something. If the hero finds happiness in a relationship with someone or multiple someones, that immediately puts them at risk. That person might die. That person might be targeted by the villains. And so some people make the argument that it makes more sense for these two villains especially to find this happiness and fulfillment in non-monogamy because they're allowed to be happy ironically being the villains yeah, yeah like they like they um, I know Marvel did I think DC might have as well like they actually had like a ban on marriages in their stories for that reason where wow. they were like well we can't have Spider-Man marry Mary Jane because like then he'd be happy and settled so we always have to have her completely in danger the damsel in distress he, he needs motivation to keep saving her over and over over and over. Or she has to be out of just out of reach. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. yeah. Shall we move on to TV shows? Yeah, let's do it. Okay. So uh, in TV shows, we're just going to start out with the best, and then we can all go home after that. No, just kidding. Uh, so we're going to start with talking about Steven Universe. Um, so Steven Universe is great, and we had to work him into this show as well. We also talked about him in our last show mm-hmm. a couple of years ago. And um, we have two, I guess two episodes we'll we'll mention briefly yeah. here, uh, or two sort of plot lines. Uh, and uh, I'll just talk about the first one here, which is Fluorite. Has anyone here watched Steven Universe? Are we familiar with this? Yeah. Okay. Unfortunately, this clip takes kind of a lot of backstory. So let me just real quick. Uh, so Steven Universe, Steven is a gem, which are these kind of... Um, I, I, I can do it, Jason. Yeah, you do it. You do it. <laughs> um, so um, yeah, Stephen. Stephen is a is a human hybrid of of gems, and the gems are basically anthropomorphic space rocks that appear as that appear and uh, present as women. And Stephen is the the son of a leader of a galactic space war. He's um, so he's special. None of, nobody really knows what to do with him because he's half human and half gem. Um, he's got a bunch of weird powers, and also. These gems, because they're not really people, they're, you know, they're light constructs, they can actually fuse together to form other gems. Um, one of the main characters, Garnet, is the fusion of a ruby and a sapphire. They fell in love, they fused, and now they are Garnet, and they stay together as Garnet all the time, because being Garnet is a symbol of their love. Right. And so this clip here is from Fluorite, who... Um, basically, the, the director did later confirm this, but people kind of right away were like, is this polyamory that's happening? And I'll just play this short clip for you here. And a fusion like me is unforgivable. When my, our Morganite found out, let's just say we were replaced. But my story's nothing. I mean, Fluorite, how many gems are you now? Six. Maybe more if we meet the right gem. Uh, And then the other clip, do you want to talk about that one with the zoo? Um, Yeah, um, which is kind of harder to set up because it's weird. But um, uh, uh, this intergalactic space war happened thousands of years ago. And somewhere towards the beginning, humans were taken off of Earth and put in basically a human zoo. And um, off on the gem homeworld. And they've... They've, uh, they've procreated, they've lasted these thousands of years, basically um, um, procreating with one another over the course of however many, of several millennium. And the way that they are 
paired together is by something called a choosing. And like basically a voice tells them, hey, you, hey, you, you're together now. And knowing nothing but like having their needs met, they don't know any conflict. They're just like, oh, cool, we're together now. And then they procreate and that's how they create further generations in this human zoo. Yeah, that's probably I'll play this context. clip for you here, yeah. Circle, you have been chosen for each other. Wait a second. Is this some kind of matchmaking thing? Uh, there's always a catch to these utopias. Garek, whoever is chosen for you will be very lucky. J10, please step into the center of the circle. Oh boy. Steven, help me. Don't worry, Dad. You're new here, so maybe you won't get chosen. Right. Gareg, please step into the center of the circle. Hold on, maybe there's been a mistake. Gareg, J10 is waiting for you. I see what is going on here. You do? You were just shy. Huh? Do not worry about it. <laughs> now, touch hands. Hold on, this isn't how it works on Earth. I... I don't want to be told who to be chosen with. Greg, this makes no sense. Why wouldn't you want to be chosen? Look, back on Earth, there was no voice to tell you who to be with. It was your own decision. My mom and dad didn't get together because someone told them to. They spent time getting to know one another and fell in love. They chosen each other because that's what they chosen. Hmm, I see. If that's how it's done on Earth, then... I choose Gareg. And I also choose Gareg. I choose Wait! I get a say in this too. You're all very nice, and I'm flattered, and yes, you get to choose whoever you want, but I also get to say that I choose uh, none of you. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like that's been my dating life the last year. So. <laughs> uh, also, I just want to give a quick shout out to Steven's dad, who's like just one of the awesomest examples of, yeah. of positive masculinity anywhere on TV. He's my favorite character of any show right now. Yeah, Aww. he's amazing. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I also love that they throw concepts in like consent and things like that <laughs> into this kid's show. It's great. So that's a line that you can pick up now is I don't choose in you. Yeah. <laughs> or I choose in no one. Sorry. Let's talk about Futurama. Okay. Let's yeah. talk about Futurama. Yeah. We've talked about this one before, but uh, Dedeker just loves this clip so much. I love this clip so much. She insisted. This is from the Futurama movies. Anyone seen that one? The Beast with a Billion yes. Backs? Yeah. Yeah. All right. Here it is. Come here, winner. Come here, loser. Colleen, what are you doing? My face is over here. This is my boyfriend, silly. I thought I was your boyfriend. You are. Well, how can you have two boyfriends? Oh, I don't. I have five. Fry, meet Chew, Bolt, and Dulu and Shlomo. Shlomo and Ndulu will help you move your stuff into my apartment tonight. Welcome to the relationship, buddy. Mm. Mm? There's my butterscotch. <laughs> <laughs> 
it doesn't end up turning out super great because <laughs> no. obviously just being roped into a five person relationship without your consent and being moved in doesn't tend to work out super great in what I've seen. Um, <laughs> yeah. Information he could have used yesterday. Yeah. Right. Uh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Um, but one of the things that we did want to give props to this for is the fact that it's a movie from several years ago now and that it's a non-monogamous relationship with multiple male partners and one female partner, which you also don't see a lot of. And so it was cool that they, even if it is a bit played for yucks, that, that there is still some representation of that, that it is a little bit different at least than what we've seen a million times with more of like the harem fantasy type thing. Right, yeah. Yeah, so what do we got next? What do we got next? Okay, uh, do we have any Star Trek fans out there in the audience? Mm-hmm. Okay. So uh, in Star Trek, this actually is an interesting way to talk about one of the other things we didn't mention before about the relationship between sci-fi and non-monogamy. And I think the same is true with fantasy. It's that the things we're talking about are often not, you know, quote, normal humans, right? They're, they're aliens or they're elves or they're right there or they're humans who lived in a zoo for a thousand years on their own you know they're somehow not us and i think that what 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 i love about that is it allows us to explore things that we don't get to have in our normal lives here on earth uh but at the same time i think it makes it easier for us to explore these things with them because it's like oh well yeah we can think about these things and entertain these ideas and they're less threatening and less scary because there's someone else that's what someone else does mm-hmm. somewhere else and in this case not just another country but a whole nother a galaxy far far away right um, it's a wrong series anyway this is <laughs> this is uh, from Star Trek Enterprise uh, <laughs> angry texts I see them being written right now <laughs> this is from Star Trek Enterprise uh, from back in 2003 well, at least he has his other wives. Not wives. Wife. Kessel moved to Tears of Prime to be with her third husband. Did I do this right? Why is there no image? You forgot to enter the frequency parameters. Which one was her third husband? Oh, was that Claiborne? Boga. Claiborne was for Lisa's husband. Her first, I think. There you go. Why isn't it sharp? You forgot to stabilize the aperture. That's just a reflection from the imaging filament. <laughs> It's all right. We'll reinitialize the neutron stream and start again. For Lisa. <laughs> for Lisa. Oh, my, my. <laughs> I uh, thought about asking for Lisa to be my second wife. <laughs> Turned out she already had three husbands. <laughs> Archer to Dr. Flux. <sighs> yes, Captain. Could you report to my ready room? Certainly. I'll be back as soon as I can, my beloved. Commander. Gulp. <laughs> These aliens make me really uncomfortable. <laughs> so, yeah, like, so this one's interesting because on the one hand, it's 2003. It's showing these people who are happy and very nonchalant talking about not being monogamous. On the other hand, the human character who's there with them is sort of, this is weird. Um, uh, these are the Denobulans, by the way, for those of you who are wondering. That's the name of this race. Um, but, you know, that he's a little uncomfortable with it. It's a little weird. She's kind of coming on strong to him, and he's not really reciprocating that. So the whole thing, you know, it plays it still a little bit like, oh, look at these weirdos. 
But one thing that is cool is that uh, a little bit later in this episode, because he turns her down, that later in the episode, one of the other characters is kind of like, oh, geez, you should have gone for that, buddy. <laughs> so, so there is at least sort of an acknowledgement of that, that it, he wasn't like praised, I guess, for being mm. kind of uh, prudish or whatever about this. Right. No praise for prudishness. <laughs> Apparently. Which is the name of my new band. <laughs> What kind of band is it? Praise for prudishness? Yeah. Oh, is it no praise for prudishness or praise for prudishness? Oh, oh uh, no praise for prudishness, okay. I think. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I think it's probably some kind of shoegazy kind of. Oh. Yeah. Okay. I'm into it. Okay. Not like sex metal or something? Oh, yeah. Ooh, I like that. Actually, I like that. Okay. Um, in the interest of time, can we move on to talking about Sense8? Oh, sure. Does that sound okay? Yeah. Kev, do you want to talk a, introduce Sense8 for us? Um, yeah, because uh, I love it. Um, <laughs> it's like Sense8, it, uh, it, it functions in a universe where um, people are born, like eight people are born in a cluster, and it's like they all, they're all born at exactly the same moment, and they're basically telepathically linked and to the extent where they can like share one another's skills, where like if I've got a skill with guns and Dedrick has got a skill with, with driving, like... You know, we can swap that out whenever, whenever necessary. Um, and it features a pretty healthy amount of orgies. <laughs> a, a healthy amount. Yeah. A healthy amount. A reasonable yeah. amount. <laughs> and directed by the Wachowskis. Also yeah. produced, written, all of those things. Yeah, yeah. I believe, yeah, written and produced, directed by the Wachowskis. Okay. Uh, which is great because it's like the first good thing they've done since the first Matrix movie. In my opinion, <laughs> Jeez. I'm trying to argue with you, but yes. <laughs> yeah, and, well, and it's it's interesting because I've thought they're almost like the opposite of what I've thought about Joss Whedon before, which is Joss Whedon makes all these really interesting, cool TV shows people get into, and they all get canceled. Like he just has kind of a hard time keeping a TV show going, and then he gets into movies, and they're great, right? Mm-hmm. Like the the movies that he's been involved with have been really great, and. I think that perhaps the Wachowskis are like the opposite, Mm -hmm. that maybe TV is more a medium for them to get to explore some of these things in a longer time frame. This is just my like armchair psychologist for directors and writers (laughs) (laughs) here. But it's also a show that, you know, it has a lot of same sex couples. It, it produces some interesting, unique angles on non-monogamy. It actually has a trans character played by a trans actress, you know, and trans directors. So things Mm -hmm. like that. Yeah. So we have two kind of different examples of non-monogamy we we want to talk about here. Uh, And the first one that I want to talk about is uh, a triad that happens between Lido, who is one of the Sensate. He's part of the the cluster. And he's also a very famous actor who stars in... um, like like action romance, kind of like he's like an Antonio Banderas kind of a character. And uh, he is gay, but is totally secret about it. He has a long-term partner named Hernando, who he keeps secret. Um, and then his, basically his agent sets him up with this other actress named Daniela, or Danny, uh, to kind of be his beard, right? And he chooses her like based on a headshot, like that type of a thing. And essentially what happens in the story is that she doesn't know that that's the reason why she's being set up with them, and they're also trying to keep that secret from her, but she ends up finding out one night. And rather than reacting with horror, she's like, oh my God, this is perfect. And they 
end up living together. And it turns out that there's this whole much more involved thing with her trying to escape from an abusive relationship and that that's part of why this is perfect for her. But also the fact that she does really develop feelings for both of them, even though she doesn't have a sexual relationship with either of the men, um, even the, and they do with each other. Uh, but she does like to watch, so there's that. Um, but it is a really interesting example of a triad on television where, where the woman is the one not having sex with the men, when we tend to see the women being the ones who are overly sexualized in any of these roles that we talk about. And so I just think that's a really neat example. And it's also coming from like a relationship anarchist point of view, a really cool example of how in real life triads that can be very stable and very loving and caring are often not just this, oh, everyone has sex with each other an equal amount and they're all romantically involved in equal amount. And it's just really cool. And it just kind of, flew by under the radar when this all came out a couple years ago. But I do have one clip from that. And what sets this up is that um, Danny has gone back to be with her abusive ex because he was blackmailing them with photos of him with his male lover. And that was going to ruin his career. And so she went back to the abusive boyfriend because that was his, like, you come back to me or I release these photos about your friends. And she ends up going back and... Hernando ends up breaking up with Lido over this because he's like, you can't let someone that you care about do something like that, even if it's for your career. And so this is the scene that happens after that a little bit. For a long time now, we've been fans of adamandeve.com for getting sex toys or lingerie or accessories, things like that. It's just a fantastic resource with a huge selection and now, not only do we have a fantastic offer, but we also have a promo code that will work on adammail.com and evestoys.com, which are their sites specifically for LGBTQ audiences. And our code is fantastic. It's 50% off of almost any item in the store and free discreet shipping when you use our code MULTI. Yes, we love adamandeve.com and have for years. They are our oldest and longest sponsor, and they just keep on giving great gifts to us and to our listeners. You can bring more pleasure and satisfaction into your bedroom by going to adamandeve.com, adammail.com, or evestoys.com and select any one item. It can be, you know, an adventurous new toy or anything you desire, something fun, something sexy, whatever sounds good. So just enter offer code MULTI at checkout and you'll get 50% off almost any item plus free shipping. That's MULTI, M-U-L-T-I at adamandeve.com, adammail.com or evestoys.com. This is an exclusive offer that is specific to this podcast and it's better than any offer that is currently available on their site. So again, use code MULTI to get you not just the 50% discount, but also the 100% free shipping. Code M-U-L-T-I. What happened to you? I got in a fight. What? A fight? Are, are you stupid? Look at your face. You won't be able to shoot tomorrow. You do still love me. Well, I know how important your career is to you. Come in, come in. 
You were right, Hernando. I was a coward. I care too much about things that aren't important. I took for granted all the things you gave up in life to be with me. Many of these things became clear because of that, you know. I understand why you reacted the way you did. I made a terrible mistake. But I fixed it. tried to stop me from going, but Lito fought him. It was, it was unbelievable. It was like a scene from one of his movies. <laughs> and what about the pictures? I don't care. Aww. It's So someone actually has put together a playlist on YouTube of only all of the clips that involve these three characters, and it kind of makes its own beautiful little story. I recommend Googling that, checking it out. I definitely had some tears while putting this uh, together and like yeah. refreshing on that story. Yeah. So Kev, there was also another section, another scene in Sense8 that you were telling us about. Yeah, um, so the character of Kala is, is, uh, is getting married, and it's sort of, it's... Not quite an arranged marriage, but she's not like a hundred percent checked into it. Um, she's with uh, she's with a guy who's with uh, named Rajan, who is perfectly adequate, which is exactly <laughs> the quality you want in a in a fiery romance. Um, and but she's also in her head falling in love with her cluster mate Wolfgang. And Kala is in uh, India, and Wolfgang is in Germany, but they're they're falling in love with one another. Um, and as it goes, she has to sort of reconcile that she's got like a settled and lovely marriage to a perfectly adequate guy, but also she's got this fiery thing happening with a guy who's basically in her head. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then this moment here uh, is an example of how they can share skills like Kevin was mentioning earlier, and that Wolfgang is like a criminal badass kind of guy, and so he lends his gun shooting skills to Kala here. This staircase leads to the top floor. Got it. Huh? Was that Nomi? What, what's happening? Why didn't you listen to the plan? We don't know where exactly they're holding whispers. So we're all covering different sections. Yeah, we're <laughs> This is a gun. Right. So here's the safety. Do not point unless you're sure about the target, okay? It really warms my heart when metamors get together like that. <laughs> <laughs> Share skills. Share killing people. Teach each skills. other about yeah. guns. Yeah. Things like that. <laughs> yeah. So we want to move on to talking about video games briefly. We also want to leave enough time for Kevin to be able to read some of his books. So 
I think that we're probably not going to be able to go do as many games as we wanted to talk about, just in the interest of time. Um, so, uh, are there gamers in the audience? Yes? Yeah. Yes? Okay. Great. There we go. Excellent. Okay. So, uh, I'm definitely a gamer. You're a gamer. You're a gamer. Mm-hmm. Okay. Love games. Great. Um, now, non-monogamy in games has been a really interesting thing. Um, there's a lot of games, and at least for the last 20 years or so, there have been a lot of games, especially like major title RPGs that do allow you to have some kind of romance track, often with another party member. Often you get a, a variety of choices of party members of who you want to pursue the romance track with. The problem being that in the majority of games, you can kind of start pursuing romance tracks with multiple characters at some point when it reaches some certain level of seriousness, um, it will prevent you from kind of pursuing romance with multiple people at the same time. It'll kind of force you into a choice, essentially. Um, So that means that opportunities for consensual non-monogamy in games tend to be pretty rare, tends to be really rare, actually. Uh, We're starting to see it a little bit more. We're starting kind of similarly with media that we're starting to see it kind of creep in, more games starting to acknowledge it, things like that. Um, There's, of course, a lot of indie games that are talking about this now or starting to that are kind of making headwaves there. Um, But as far as big budget titles, I think what we're going to talk about today is Mass Effect and the Mass Effect series. Is anyone familiar with... Mass Effect, played Mass Effect, yeah. So it's a sci-fi series. Um, Basically, the player is controlling this main character, Commander Shepard. Commander Shepard, who can be a man or a woman, depending on the the player's choice. Um, Shepard always has multiple potential romantic partners available to you in your party, but you can only seriously pursue one at a time. Um, There's uh, generally a variety of options as far as whether or not you want to have Shepard pursue a queer relationship or a straight relationship or things like that. Um, Now, we have a clip for you from the first Mass Effect game where basically this happens where if you're playing Shepard and if you pursue these two characters at the same time romantically, it comes down to this confrontation scene. And now what's interesting is that in this scene, as you'll see, one of the romantic interest is human, one of them is an alien, and kind of the way they respond to this situation is a little bit different. So, let's go ahead and play it. Miss Williams, Commander, we need to talk. If we do not resolve this situation now, I am afraid things might become awkward. Oh, awkward, huh? I hope we can keep this civilized. I do not want things to become unpleasant. Because it's been so pleasant between us lately. Look. Somebody in this room needs to make a choice. It ain't me, and it ain't you. Maybe we should try to work this out. I think we must. I may not know much about human relationships, but I understand the concept of jealousy. Jealous? Of you? You're not even our species. Perhaps that is why you feel threatened. I am a rival unlike any you have faced before. Hostility is a common reaction to the unfamiliar. Doctor, you keep smart-assing me? I'll show you what my hostile reaction is like. Cat fight. Cat- oh. I won't have my crew fighting. <laughs> I agree, Shepard, which is why you must choose, Ashley or me. We're not married, Shepard. You want to get involved with some alien? Go ahead. It's none of my business. <laughs> You're special to me, Ash. Yeah? Kind of hard to feel special while you're always chatting with your little blue friend on the side. Or is that my role? This is exactly what I was trying to avoid. I never should have told you of my feelings, Shepard. 
I have put you in a terrible position. I am sorry. You were right to tell me, Liara. I feel the same way. I've heard enough. We're resolving this now, Shepard. Me or her. Why do I have to make a choice? Maybe the three of us could... Uh... In your dreams, Commander. I hope you two, or however many you end up with, will be happy together. If you don't mind, I need to clean my gear. Such a bitch, jeez. <laughs> I feel bad for her, Shepard. <laughs> I, I do. I feel and she bad goes for on. Lyra yeah. goes on to be like, "We probably shouldn't continue this conversation in the comms room in front of everyone, like we have this entire time." Basically, what's interesting about that is, um, I think it's interesting that Liara, the alien, she expresses this idea of like. I understand jealousy, that her concern about this situation is less about, I'm worried that this won't work or I'm worried that this is bad, but more of, I'm just worried about how this other human is going to react because I know how jealous you human types get, um, rather than having any kind of inherent objections to non-monogamy itself. Um, and the interesting thing is, in this situation, if the player continues to push, like it's always Ashley the human who is yes. the one who breaks it off. And, and like the romance track ends with her and Liara is like, whatever, that's fine. You know, I know you proposed a triad, whatever, that's okay. Um, Again, it's kind of the same trend of like, maybe this is more comfortable because Liara is clearly other. She's an alien, you know, she doesn't understand the way that humans tick and things like that. Um, in later Mass Effect games, Liara still sticks around. Um, she does suddenly develop the ability to feel jealous and possessive. So that's a thing. Oh, cool. <laughs> she, 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 <laughs> she gets socialized, I suppose. Um, and let's just briefly acknowledge uh, Fallout. Yeah. Um, so, like the Fallout games, you uh, you play uh, somebody sort of traveling across a like a, a post-apocalyptic wasteland, getting into adventures, and along the way, you can actually have companions. Like you meet people who have like aligned goals, and you can travel with them. And when you switch one companion for another, like it might just be something as simple as you're going somewhere where there's a lot of radiation, and you can like. Uh, travel with a companion who's a super mutant who's powered by radiation versus somebody who isn't. Uh, when you swap from one companion to another, there's like a little bit of commentary that happens. It's always just like, all right, well, you know, let me know when you need me. See you later. But if you develop sort of a romantic connection with multiple companions, they'll say something referencing it. Like they won't call it what it is, but it'll be something like, have fun, you two, you know, <laughs> where like there's a little bit of innuendo that happens and it's about as close to like non-monogamy as you're going to get in a big budget game. Yeah. Yeah. This is something that we came up against the last time we did a media survey like this is that there's so much media that will show consensual non-monogamy, but they really don't want to drop the P word. Yeah. You know, they're really like, like, and we can't quite call it what it is. And that was the same. That was of course, one of the criticisms that fallout four got was where it's like, well, this is, kind of polyamory no one really talks about it or acknowledges it but it's really the closest that we've gotten in a big budget game yeah like when when you don't have a jealous when you don't have like open jealousy open judgment then mm -hmm. like okay well then this is being accepted so we have to accept it as sort of the stepping stone to what we're actually looking for right yeah yeah um, well, I think that we're going to end out the evening by uh, giving space for Kevin to do a reading from his book for hire. Uh, the first you're reading from the first yeah, one, yeah, the first yeah? one, okay. And then, um, we'll, and then we'll do questions after that mm -hmm. about awesome. all this. 
Um, so just like a little bit of setup, um, the for higher universe is set up in a in a way where if you've got if you've got superhuman powers and you'd like to use them in a, an official capacity, you can be be either a superhero or an operator. And superheroes are essentially like state sponsored police with powers, whereas operators are more independent contractors. Like if Batman or the Punisher accepted paychecks. Um, <laughs> and uh, our main character Sana is sitting in a bar. Uh, having just t- uh, taken a look at um, a magazine cover with her girlfriend, Sana's the one um, in the dark, and the and uh, Marcella's the one in the purple. Um, she just saw her girlfriend on a magazine cover. She's flipping through, and somebody new walked into the bar where she's hanging out. <clears throat> there were three paths to the type of superhumanity. That, oh, also, there is a, a ranking system. Uh, a ranking system for people, like a power ranking for like who's doing awesome. Like it's superheroes, superhumans. They it's like a, a celebrity structure. You know, so, uh, people with superpowers are the ones with like the energy drinks and the endorsements, and like a power ranking shows off sort of who's popular, who's doing the job, and who isn't. There were three. There were three paths to the type of superhumanity that might get you ranked. Genetic variance syndrome, or GVS, is an unexplained phenomenon that gives a small percentage of humans a randomized set of enhanced attributes. Marcella runs into criminal variants all the time. She described them like video game end bosses. She beats her way through a gang before encountering the variant at the top. For the most part, their abilities are never a match for hers. Marcella and I invented the second path to superhumanity, though nobody knows that but us. Well, almost nobody. Her fans assume her powers are a function of the armor she wears. If I had a more public persona, my fans would assume the same. Truth is, as teenagers, Marcella and I created something called Supercell, programmable nanotechnology that can accurately mimic human biological function on a cellular level. As a result, our strength, speed, intelligence, and regenerative abilities are all off the charts powerful. Me and Mars are the only ones on the technology path. The third path is magic, which up until recently, I didn't believe in. I set the magazine aside with one lens glance at the cover before setting my sights on the sources of the pub's sudden buzz. The newcomer was loud, handsome, and covered in tattoos, short and slight, but with a huge presence. They had an easy smile and boisterous charm that I could spot even from a distance. Everyone at the bar recognized them the second they walked into the pub. I did too, but not for the same reasons. The chances that they were here by coincidence were slim. I ran a quick stock of my protection. Under my clothes, I wore my favorite set of light armor. It hugged my curves like spandex. Nothing nothing bulky like that unwieldy crap Marcella wore. It was breathable and flexible and had just enough defensive tech to ward off most blows that might hinder me as I fought or escaped. On my left hip was a silenced pistol. On my right thigh, a long knife. I could also conjure a hard light shield from either hand. I took another sip of my drink. No use letting it go to waste. After a round of selfies with the other patrons, the pub's newcomer looked directly at me. The chances that they were here by coincidence dropped to none. From a pocket, I slid out my cell phone, toggled over to the Supercell app, and double-checked the settings on my nanites, ready for action if it came to that. The newcomer said something to the bartender and motioned in my direction. The last time I'd seen them, they were wearing a mask, but I had no doubt it was the same person. Two or three months ago, they were magicking a sort of portal into existence while standing over a frightened man named Stanton, a man I'd been hired to kill. It was the first time I had ever seen what could have only been magic, but I'm a professional. No time for gawking. I did what I was there to do before they could do what they were there to do. 
Long range, big gun, away without a trace. Or so I thought. Maybe I shouldn't be surprised that they found me. Right next to the superhero rankings, for hire keeps a power ranking for operators, and they were number three in the country. Under the alias JC, though, I'm number one. In the magazine, wearing the mask, they're simply called Voss 13. To the rest of the general public, and definitely to the slobbering fans at the bar, they're world famous as the amazing, as the amazing Magisteria, Marcella's favorite, fav, Marcella's favorite performer. She'll be pleased to know she was right about the magic being real. Voss, as I'd come to think of them, picked up two frothy mugs from the bar and walked over to my booth. They sat one in front of me and sat down and gestured to the magazine I, I set aside. You know, Double M is my biggest fan. They had a thick Australian accent. If overconfidence was an accent, they had that too. There was a fearless, almost careless grace to their movement, as if they'd never found a situation they couldn't charm their way out of. Even their look was crafted to draw people in. Thrift store aesthetics crafted with top-tier designer labels. The illusion of relatability. Facade or no, it was pretty hot, and there was no way they didn't know it. It was obviously they felt they... They felt in complete control of the situation, but so did I. Really, I said, ignoring the new mug and sipping the drink I already had on hand. If they felt any way about the slight, they hit it well. Absolutely. They took a huge belt of the mug they were holding and set it down and brushed back their short, dark hair. She's been following my career from the very beginning. She comes to see my show whenever I'm here in town. I even took her backstage a couple of times and showed her the real magic, if you know what I'm talking about. They winked. I've never seen someone so pleased with themselves. But I guess banging a famous superhero like Double M is a pretty huge accomplishment, even when, you've already, when you're already a colossal superstar. Of course, other than the fact that Voss and Magisteria are the same person, none of this was new information to me. Marcella and Magisteria had been rolling around with each other for at least a couple of years now. As many, as many times as availability could afford their full-time mega-celebrity schedules. The real magic, huh? Like what you were doing to Stanton? Aha! I knew it was you, JC, and I knew you would know it was me. Cheers. They raised their glass in a toast and returned it. No need to be overtly rude. I still didn't know the nature of this visit. I wasn't exactly sure which one of you bastards fouled up my contract, though I guessed. Suddenly the gleam was gone from their dark eyes. The intensity almost made me miss a breath. I wanted to talk to you about what you saw in your scope. I know tech, and what I saw wasn't tech. And then the great Magisteria themselves comes walking into my bar? What other conclusions am I supposed to be drawing here? Voss nodded thoughtfully, looking me over, maybe coming to a, de- a decision. I tensed. You know, most people don't believe in magic, they said slowly. I only show mine to the rubes who think it's fake. They hike the thumb at the people at the bar. Or the poor sides who won't be around long enough to tell anyone it's real. Which leaves you and I in a bit of a predicament. Thank you, Kevin. <laughs> so you just released the second book in the series. Yeah, yeah. We just released the second book, uh, Audition, um, like just earlier this month. Um, like with the polyamory, though, like something, something we, we really tried to do here was like we tried to subvert the love triangle um, because so many it's, – it's such, a, a, such an easy, low-hanging fruit sort of thing to do in fiction where it's like, oh, wow, these three people are into each other, or more likely, this one person is into these two other people. How do we handle this? So in this one, we, we wanted to make it that the, the presence of attraction between three people wasn't the conflict. The conflict is that each of them 
Each of them is hiding aspects of themselves from the other people that they're with. The fact that they're all into each other is just fine. (laughs) (laughs) It's also, I think, one of the things I really liked about about For Hire Operator is the fact that there is this non-monogamous relationship and there's it's not perfect all the time. Like there is drama, there is conflict in it at times, but none of that drama or conflict comes from the fact that it's non-monogamous. It comes from other aspects of their lives, things that are going on in their careers or in their yeah. personal lives. Mm-hmm. Like and like operator, sort of the driving theme is the difference between secrecy and privacy. And uh, and like how that strains a relationship. And in audition, the driving theme is like sort of this general malaise and fighting through an apathetic approach to life. But also like our characters are queer and trans and polyamorous and also super powered. And that sort of determines the pathways that they take without it being like the thing that defines the story. Like you're not going to find like a coming out narrative. Mm-hmm. You know, um, audition's main character is a, is a trans woman, but you're not going to find like a bunch of trans pain that we're trying to dwell into. And also we made it a point to like hire people to check out our book, people who who have these identities to make sure that we weren't like fucking it up basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so where can people pick up your book? Um, both books are available uh, online and Amazon. I'm I'm signing copies here if you if you're interested. Like I've got several copies of both Operator and Audition, and my other book, Love's Not Colorblind, which is like the book about race, uh, how race impacts polyamory. It's a, a nonfiction book. I've got a bunch here. I'm down to sign as soon as we're done here. But um, both books are available uh, at on paper book, on paper as paperback on Amazon. Ebooks everywhere, but like Smashwords is probably the optimal place to get it. The best place that you can share your thoughts with other listeners is on this episode's discussion thread in our private Facebook group or Discord chat. You can get access to these groups and join our exclusive community by going to patreon.com slash multiamory. In addition, you can share with us publicly on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. You can email us at info at multiamory.com, leave us a voicemail at 678-M-U-L-T-I-05. Or you can leave us a voice message on Facebook. Multiamory is created and produced by Dedeker Winston, Emily Matlack, and me, Jace Lindgren. Our episodes are edited by Mauricio Balvanera. Our social media wizard is Will McMillan. Our production assistants are Rachel Shenowark and Carson Collins. Our theme song is Forms I Know I Did by Josh and Anand from the Fractal Cave EP. The full transcript is available on this episode's page on multiamory.com. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.